Welcome to Hopecast, the podcast making suicide a part of the everyday conversation. My name is Lauren and I'm the host of Hopecast. Hi, and I'm Sarah Fitcher. I'm a trustee for Papyrus and I'm a neonatal nurse lecturer within the midwifery lecturing team at the University of Salford. And obviously by profession, I am a nurse. And you're the perfect person to have for this episode. So you're so good. With You were only on, the epi- on an episode a few months ago and we've got you back in for this one. Oh, you're very kind, Lauren. It's it's a real pleasure, uh, you know, and a privilege to come back and, and co-host Hopecast with you. Uh, you know, it was an enjoyable conversation that we had previously. So looking forward to today's conversations as well. well thank you. And it's and you are, like you say, you've got that background in nursing and also being a trustee in Papyrus. And with maybe marking International Nurses Day, there is that real coinciding with um, nursing and suicide that people don't often associate but when you look at pandemic what nurses were facing it's already an incredible incredibly stressful environment and can be very intense um it's that awareness actually what nurses go through every day and the mental health implications that can come with that it is and I think it's going to be you know a really good conversation I'm looking forward to talking around that that conversation and thinking about that serious suicide risk that we've got within our um, nursing population and we know don't we that it's often not talked about enough you know thinking about the stigma so it's important that we're going to have that conversation today. Absolutely Sarah and it's it's addressing those pressures and addressing self-care as well and intervening and um, you know how can you spot the signs of suicide within your colleagues is there anything mm-hmm. you can pick up on so I think it's going to be a really powerful and also it can add this episode will add to your toolkit if you're a nurse yourself or you work in medicine or even if you don't work in nursing but you might know someone who's a nurse who's close to you and you can pick up the signs and see if see if you can you can help them in any way. Definitely. And I think we've had that, you know, we've had quite an intense time, haven't we, with the COVID-19 pandemic and thinking about those traumatic times that nurses have gone through working in that environment and thinking about that still ongoing trauma. I think, you know, nurses are still processing those exponential times that we've had within the profession. So, again, you know, that that might only just be coming um, to the forefront of somebody's, you know, mental health and well-being, you know, what the effect of that's been. And, and we know that it's still not over and we know that in some areas, you know, we're still applying some of the same uh, regimes that we had during that COVID time. So, again, you know, we're not, we're not out of a, a challenging time either. So we know this is an ongoing um, effect on on the staff as well. So again, you know, we've got to think about that that time, don't we? Carefully in what we can do. Absolutely, and especially with nurses in particular, they're considered a high group a high group for suicide anyway, regardless of the pandemic due to the strain and level of responsibility attached to the role. According to the Royal College of Nursing, seventy percent of people who die by suicide are not in touch with mental health services. Um, so that's why it's so important again what we'll talk about today the importance mm. of having well-being schemes to protect frontline medical professions at risk of suicide and having that in in your department it's, it's so so important it is and that's that's a really you know that's a really high statistic to hear isn't it it's a you know it's kind of a devastating thought that 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 you know is such a high high statistic of loss within within the profession as well you know and thinking about it being um, you know, as we said, women as well that are in that profession and thinking about that workforce. So it is important that we ensure, don't we, that, 
know, people are equipped with resources and toolkits and support out in the workplace so they can get that early help as well. Definitely. And I think yourself and our guest for today are, is the are you, you, you are the most brilliant people from a papyrus perspective to have on board. And we'll be joined by Dr. Anessa Riber. She is a fantastic woman. Um, she has lived experience of suicide. She is a specialist in mental health at the university. And also in her current job as well, she's absolutely fantastic. And yeah, I couldn't I couldn't have someone better for this episode. I absolutely agree, Lauren. She is a wonderful person. And having worked with her within the trustee um arena, you know, it's great to think that, you know, Anessa's coming to talk to us um today. So haven't worked with her professionally, but I know we've both got um nursing backgrounds, but you know, from from all the work that she's done. Um, it's it's going to create an interesting conversation today. It is, it is, and I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how this episode goes. Agree, definitely. There are a lot of myths that surround suicide, and the aim of this section is to dispel some of these myths. In this segment of Hopecast, we try eliminate these common misconceptions. So today's myth is one that a lot of people got get confused with and wonder how they can do more to support someone that they're concerned about. Suicide only happens to certain types of people. Absolutely. This is a myth. Um, Suicide has no target. Um, It has no age. It has no profession. It has no gender. It has no um, cultural background. Suicide, unfortunately, can affect anyone in society at any given point. Agreed. And again, you know, sort of thinking about the profession that we're talking about today, they're certainly not immune from that, looking at the statistics that we've seen um, there as well. But yeah, I absolutely agree. And um, I think it ties in really nicely this um, fact with it, with this fact on myth section, um, this this particular one, because I think we assume nurses are invincible. Um, anyone who works in medicine is invincible because obviously they're the ones who look after us. They're the ones who look after put everyone else before themselves. So they think, oh, I don't need to worry about nurses, what they see every day. It's nothing. But who do they go to? Who do they who do they express their problems with? You know, they they see a lot of stuff. And that's why we've got to take extra care of them and look out for them, especially when it comes to suicide. I agree. And I think, you know, this conversation today is hopefully going to provide that toolkit ensure that people get support, that that colleagues are going to be in a supportive position to spot those signs as well and how, how the workplace can, you know, sort of going forward to look to support their own staff and colleagues, um, you know, in that signposting form, you know, format and, and remembering, like you say, that we're not invincible as a, a profession. You know, there's a, a real kind of stereotype to that superhero mm. profession, you know, that a resilience no no matter what but again you know we're certainly not an immune as a profession are we so we definitely need to be focusing on it and it's important you know that we're discussing it as international nurses day as well you know bringing bringing the professions to the forefront as well absolutely and you know no no, and we're going to hear this word a lot in this episode is toolkit and taking from this episode how you can apply it in in your you know if you're a nurse self you're a professional or you know in your personal life it's being able to spot spot this and 
someone can look like they have everything together, but they could be massively struggling underneath the surface and they could be wearing a very good mask. So it's been able to see what's going on behind the mask and seeing if they, that they're willing to take that mask off and talk about how they're really feeling. Absolutely. Like you say, we don't actually know what people are going through, do we? We come to work, we might not meet people for periods of time. You know, they are, they're there, they put the mask on, they go to work, they look like they're functioning. Um, and again, you know, it's it's how do we then, you know, make sure that, you know, as a team, we're compassionate um, to each other, as well as being compassionate and empathic to our, our client and patient base as well. So we do need to be thinking about them don't we and making sure we can have those open and honest and sometimes difficult conversations in a safe space. Welcome to Hopecast Anessa. Hi thank you for having me good morning and thank you for coming on Hopecast as well Anessa this is a bit of a new experience for both of us. It certainly is. Is. And you both, um, you've both got a few things in common. You're both papyrus trustees and you've both got backgrounds in nursing and medicine and also lecturing as well. You've both got quite a lot in common. Yeah, we do. Have to, we've definitely got something in common and we've both worked together. So uh, maybe what we should do is look at, um, you know, talking about your work at the hospital, Anessa. So would you like to tell us a little bit about that? Well, it's been a while since I've I've worked in a hospital, but I do still link across trusts with um with my nursing colleagues. So a lot of them are um constant nurses, um linking in and out, kind of supporting research and advice, um being called upon just to kind of talk about suicide, really suicide awareness and prevention. Um, so I do a lot of work with that and with the suicide prevention leads across the region. Um, as well so yeah I've, there's a lot of ongoing work in in, in that sector um, so it kind of goes from I suppose quite a, a, an individ, individualized one-to-one experience with with nurses um, with students and with colleagues to kind of uh, a much more involved kind of um, regional strategic development training perspective really which is you know, which is great, which is which is really good because it keeps you grounded when you've got all of the one-to-one work going on, um, and people want to talk to you about what's happening, um, about what would be useful, about um, perhaps different training approaches, um, to kind of literally doing the research around that and then involving that and trying to impact upon um, workforce development as well. So it's 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 varied. That's just one small part of my role. Does that answer your question? Does that help a little bit? Yeah, it's definitely a varied role, isn't it, in the sort of university life. And I think sometimes people sort of may not realise how much connection we do have still within clinical practice when we've moved into a university setting. So, you know, d- demonstrating that that constant theory and practice link is is really important, isn't it? And having that background knowledge of working out in clinical practice certainly enables us to support qualified staff and those that are training uh, within our university settings as well, isn't it? Yeah, because it's just it's one part of a, of a of a large circle that kind of feeds into each other. I don't think you can have one without the other, really. So, yeah, absolutely understanding, you know, what's happening in clinical practice, what's happening locally, um, you know, perhaps what the cultures are like locally. You've got different subcultures in different areas about what they need. Some people um, are, are, are feel a lot more confident in relation to the, you know the subject of, of suicide awareness. And prevention where other areas perhaps don't so 
it's kind of understanding that and how we can make a difference, but also understanding what's needed um, from from the workforce and how we can help from a, a, an educational perspective to prepare the students as well. I mean, we all know that all the students across all fields need to um, need to be aware of, of suicide anyway. You know, suicide awareness prevention across across all fields. But you know, kind of just looking at how how we can facilitate that um, and how we can have that a, a kind of seamless. Well, it's never seamless, but you know, an attempted seamless kind of um, movement from what nurses are taught at university to how that then kind of um, fits in with what what people want clinically as well. Um, you know, there's because it can be it can be a bit of a difference, and the demands can be a little bit different. You know, in relation to that, so it's it's kind of best trying and, and see how we can work with our partners, our practice partners, to see you know how how we can make you know work for them as well. And it's important, isn't it, because these are our future workforce, aren't they, you know, and it's important that our grounding ensures that they're best able to cope with those day-to-day struggles within the clinical practice, maybe the trauma and stress that they meet out on on those wards that they're working in. And again, like you say, variety of practice placements first, but also, you know, supporting them, you know, to become you know, those evidence-based practitioners with a toolkit that enables them to be the best that they can every day, but also whilst ensuring that they look after themselves in that process as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, with a, a lot of a lot of this stuff, I don't know what, don't know what you find, Sarah, but the students tend to separate themselves from the subject that they're studying. So when we talk about um, suicide awareness and, and suicide prevention um, and the skills around that, um, obviously, they, they think very clinically focused about working with others, working with other people, but very um, clear to, to, to say to people, well, you know, you have to look around the room, look around at each other, um, look around with the colleagues that you are working with every day, because, you know, as we know, and that's why we're here talking about this, um, you know, the, 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 worryingly, there's, there's apparently... Um, female nurses in particular much more likely um, than any other profession to 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 make an attempt on their life and I know there was a lot of work done with the Laura Hyde Foundation um, and certainly they, they were saying um, back from their statistics and the, the report back in 2022 that the number of nurses that tried to take their own life um, that, that previous year was equivalent to one one person every day if you look at it like that it's pretty shocking statistics really isn't it um and apparently that was up you know people asking for help um and support around that was up 70 percent in the first six months of last year um which was you know from the year before in 2021 so we're seeing this real kind of shift um you know with nurses themselves wanting wanting help and support and needing and, and reaching out and asking for help and support um you know for, for lots of reasons that we you know, we can perhaps embellish upon but you know it's, it's kind of really impressing upon that when it comes to the not just females but obviously what part of the of the nursing workforce about really kind of taking care of themselves looking out for each other um you know kind of asking their colleagues if they're all right just checking in whether they've had a really tough day and not having any kind of shame around that and recognizing themselves as human as well and that we're all interrelated just a separate kind of um species that's functioning here you know that they're human too um and it's okay to reach out and 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 support each other as well in fact it's i think probably now it's more important than ever that they do that i just completely agree with you there in essence it's such 
an important an important point and such an important conversation to talk about as well living nursing and may marks international nurses day but also it's international nurses day every day if you're a nurse or you work in medicine and it's no different to suicide prevention as well you know it's, it's not just waiting for this one time of the year it's about making it a 365 day conversation and i agree um, and i think you know the whole sort of like part that you said about the increase that we've seen you know you would have expected you know if you were thinking about it in the middle of covid you'd be thinking you know maybe those figures might have been higher during that time because it was extremely stressful wasn't it you know they they were going out away from the families worried about what might happen during that pandemic you know it was uncertain times for everybody wasn't it there was all the stress and trauma that they were experiencing coping with loved ones who were separated from their own but actually we're now thinking about you know what what support has been there for them we know that sometimes it takes a long time for a traumatic event to you know to sort of cause that distress and stress you know maybe those figures are still related to that and maybe we need to be looking at how we can support them in that clinical arena and like you say checking in with our colleagues and thinking about us as as human beings and you know not just a resilient nursing team because resilience doesn't mean we've got to be superheroes and not Mm. admit to feeling you know that some days our mental health may be worse um, than others and you know sometimes those triggers and traumas you know, come come back to us. It's a very compassionate um, profession, isn't it? Very empathic profession. And we take on board people's trauma and feelings every day. And, you know, it's thinking about how that then can be supported through things like counselling or having those end of day check-in sessions so that you're not taking it all home, that you've shared it. And, you know, and then there's not that build up if we've not got the best coping strategies you know, we've gone beyond being able to use our own toolkit, isn't it, as well? Absolutely. I think um, it is that. It, I think what we're saying is that it, it is, you know, the, the, the people processing what's just happened over the last few years. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, people are on high alert and you function on that that level of stress. And then it's not until that comes down, you've got that retrograde stress that, that kind of hangs around and people start to process exactly what's happened. Mm-hmm. And within that, probably lost... Um, you know, co- colleagues in relation to you know people leaving the profession. You know mm. that because of the staffing numbers, there's a lot of um, you know there's a lot of stress in areas where where the, you know there's um, perhaps not the same amount of staff working in in in, in the environments. People are being out um, as well, and and with that comes you know a lot of anxiety and stress within those environments. And you know we've had there's a whole lot of stuff going on socio politically with. As we know, with, with around um, pay, etc. So it, th- there's a lot going on, and it doesn't feel like there's been um, much time for people to breathe or to recover themselves, um, and to you know kind of get back on an even keel. Uh, and and the, you know where where there's really supportive um, teams. I mean that's fantastic, but it it goes goes beyond the local teams, doesn't it? I mean they're incredibly important, but this is a thread of that kind of support and. Um, real commitment to well-being that needs to run through organisations and I know there's a lot of work being done nationally, stuff that I've been involved with with um, NHS England um, a lot of work being done looking at this um, but you just, sometimes I think it takes a little bit of time to filter down through um, sometimes through structures and organisations that embed in to something that is um, th- that is intrinsic it takes a little bit of time for that to happen um, you know, before perhaps people can feel the benefit of that 
But we know there's, you know, that there's lots of helplines around. We've got one of specific helplines. We've got the Laura Hyde Foundation. They've got helplines as well. Um, obviously, I know we're going to be talking about Hopeline at the end of this, but um, there's a lot of help and support out there, a lot of crisis help and support, which is fantastic. But I think that, you know, that needs to be coupled with the kind of ongoing a commitment to wellness and what that looks like. It has to be meaningful. And I think that's the, you know, that's the key and what, what, what staff are kind of um, talking about and bringing back when, when, when you speak with them is it's like, it, you know, it really just has to be meaningful. It's not, it, it, and I think it's, it's hard perhaps for organisations who are trying, who are thinking, well, I'm, I'm offering this, I'm offering that. But then I think there needs to be kind of real kind of conversations about how, how is this landing with you? Does this feel like it's meaningful or is it, does it feel just topical, you know, like a, an elastoplast that we're, we're kind of putting on the top of it here? And how do we, how, how do we grow, grow this in for you? And I think a lot of those answers are with the workforce themselves. You know, if you ask the nurses on the ground, they'll tell you, you know, what's going to work and, and, and perhaps what, what won't and, and what they need, you know, you know, along with proper breaks and, <laughs> you know, things like that. And, would be you know a, a good place to start. Okay Nessa so we're, we're looking at some of the questions for this um, episode so one of the questions that we're posing is do you think with the pressures that nurses face every day it makes it harder to open up and talk about how they're feeling when it comes to suicide? You know I think oh, it's all a personal thing isn't it it comes very much down to an individual about you know where they feel their line is and how when, when they feel they want to talk but I, I mean yeah, do I hear a lot of people saying now is, well, you know, I'm really struggling, but who isn't? You know, so people kind of give up that. Oh, well, everybody's struggling, so I'm not going to talk about it because I'm no different to anybody else. But and 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 that's just what we do, isn't it? But that's what some people do. And I think, you know, please don't don't minimize your own distress. Please don't minimize your own distress. Don't keep putting a lid on it because at some point that is going to want to blow off and it's much better kind of reaching out earlier when you when you recognize that you're starting to struggle than waiting until it just piles up because it's it's much it's better to come back from that position than to than to be at the end of something um and the level of distress that that that, that you might be in at a later point so um yeah regardless of what's going on around you please please do i, I do think it, it makes it hard people are you know, perhaps um, it, it depends on your environment and what you work in as well. I did a bit of research um, a, a few years ago now with the, the Royal College of Nursing, and a lot of the nurses were, were feeding back that because of stigma around suicide um, and some of the, the things that they'd heard talked about in the workplace that they felt less likely to open up and to talk to, to colleagues or perhaps to managers or um or anybody else because of what they'd heard in the in the work environment but equally you know there are other you know there are other places which are incredibly supportive and would absolutely welcome you know um, a conversation with a colleague um if if, if somebody was struggling so yes yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge mixture isn't it but it's nothing right to, to bring that up because i do think that the stigma around the mental health or even having thoughts of suicide you know, still exist and, you know, agree, you know, some education to try and, you know, encourage nurses that, you know, this is not a negative thing to speak up, to be proactive. You know, we could be thinking about, you know, that anonymous 
um, screening support, you know, our looking at risk factors, looking at those risk questionnaires, filling those in and then seeing what comes back from those as to where the signposted support is. But also, I suppose, thinking about what you were saying about those open conversations and, and how nurses feel about it, I suppose you were in, in this sort of current climate, um, you know, cost of living and stuff like that. There's that fear of losing your job because mm-hmm. they feel that your mental health isn't good enough for you to be able to cope with the demands of a, you know of a challenging position as a nurse you know we're not all superheroes we, we're not all resilient to the point that we you know we're, we're infallible and we you know nothing affects us so I think you know we need to sort of think about how you know we encourage nurses to speak up like you say there are some good pockets of practice occurring but you know let's get that working throughout all of the organizations from the top to the bottom of the country and also to the top from the top to the bottom of the organization so everybody feels that they're able to sort of speak up and and ask for that help because it isn't a failure is it you know that is actually a good skill to have to sort of reach out and say you know what today I am not okay and this is not okay and and seek that support from from that wider team Absolutely. And I think I think what you you said this is so so important, Sarah, around um, you know, what will other people think of me if um if I feel like this, then I, w- I will be seen as not being um competent, you know, and, and affecting perhaps um how people look upon you for future promotions or or, or things like that. That is that is embedded throughout the the medical profession through paramedics the paramedics mm-hmm. are the same same for the same reason again some research I did for the ambulance service that's in exactly the same thing that um there's a worry that you're going to be seen as something less than what you are um if you if you present as being vulnerable mm-hmm. but we all know that that there is strength in vulnerability um and then and it is a it is a human feature it, it's 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 who we are you know mm-hmm. and if we're saying you know it's okay for our, our patients um to be vulnerable within our within our care then why why is it that we we think that we're you know immune to that mm-hmm. yeah, so it's about having discrete conversations with somebody that you trust mm-hmm. um you know it might not be somebody in your immediate team but it's somebody yeah. that you do trust um whether you can refer yourself to to, to occupational health um, you know, or, or another trusted colleague somewhere within an organisation, or, or, or a friend, just to anybody, mm. you know, who who you feel will just hear you and be with you in a space where you're not going to be judged, mm. and they'll just listen to to how you're feeling and, and why you're struggling. So just seek out who that is. Don't worry about you know being anybody you need to immediately talk to at work. Seek out somebody you feel comfortable with first and go from there yeah and it kind of sort of feels like a kind of MHFA kind of champion role or kind of you know mental health champions like we have across our unit I mean we certainly have a team in the university but also maybe it's kind of having those well-being champions or those that are kind of you know buddies that will be available to have a chat and like you say somebody that's trusted somebody that's maybe have some additional training that can signpost that can sit and talk somebody that's not sitting looking at the clock thinking oh they've just opened up to me about how they feel but I haven't got the time to take this conversation where it needs to go and somebody that's brave enough to ask 
those questions because hopefully with those supportive conversations at the right time where somebody's reached out then hopefully we can prevent those tragic losses through suicide you know and and, and ensure that teams then work together well because again that is also the trust factor isn't it like you say about do I trust somebody who's having a bad mental health day you know that stigma attached to functioning but also thinking about like you said about you know the the thinking about the patients as well you know if somebody you know got got the whiff of that that's a nurse that's struggling with the mental health how much trust do they have and again I think that's kind of another reason why nurses struggle to open up as well isn't it it's about the image of that professional image you know that they're there for everybody um you know and it does kind of like tailor tailor back that that sort of not able to put the hand up and say today this is yeah. And just absolutely, you know, it's, it's with team on board, isn't it? Like, you know, the code of conduct. It's hard. It's easier said than done. I totally get it for everything what we're saying, which is saying, hang on a minute. No, I've got to be able to be, I've got to be able to be well myself in order to be the best and my best place to offer care to these people that I care about and the profession that I care about. And it is mm-hmm. much easier said than done. And people will be worried about, you know, will I lose my job? Will it, you know, if, you know, if you want to avoid kind of um, mistakes and stress, it's kind of much better speaking up earlier, isn't it? So you're in a a better frame of mind going forward. And you know, it's about who those people are to talk to in different positions, like you said, Sarah, maybe it's about champions. And certainly in mental health, I've you know, we have um, we have in some places um, peer support workers who are an integral part of a team. I'd like Mm. to see that a lot more, but it isn't you know, they're always integrally everywhere, but, you know, hopefully that's growing. And peer support workers, you know, they would, they fear have conversations, you know, not generally scared to ask anything. They've been there themselves, they, and that's why they're there. You know, they've recovered, they're recovering, they're on a, they have a huge capacity to hear and listen what's happening. Um, and they're an integral part of the team as well. And can usually pick up, before you know anybody shares that there's something mm-hmm. wrong um so yeah yeah lots of things to consider giving them those tools as well isn't it you know like we, we're already implementing suicide prevention training this kind of the spot the signs stuff the look after your mates to follow things that we do within the curriculum at the university but again obviously yeah. that's new nursing staff so um, you know our new midwives as well so again we're looking at implementing that to ensure that our future workforce is well prepared and able to look at those signs but I think we are, we might need to go back and sort of think about our well-established teams and ensure that it's not just another tick box exercise on the mandatory training list another thing to sort of sit over but kind of you know giving those creative sessions you know as part of well-being support so that every single person in every single team has done that kind of spot the signs suicide prevention training and not necessarily just as an online um, training as well you know creating something about that day that makes it you know very acceptable it's very open it's very honest and you know people coming together and you know sharing where they feel feel able to do because we know don't we that you know over lifetime most people will experience that thought of suicide or you know do I want to be here anymore whether they act on that thought or not you know it's it's a very creative and it's a very safe space if that training is delivered you know by experienced teams as well and I think you know that would also benefit um you know in the workplace 
like you say, people that are sensitive can pick the signs up first that somebody's not okay. And they probably will do that. Are you okay? Are you sure you're okay? You don't seem yourself today. But without the training and without that sort of confidence to say, not you're not considering suicide or are you thinking about suicide? You know, some people won't have the confidence to say that because of the, the myths around if you ask, then somebody will. You know, I think we've got to sort of embed that out in into our teams that, that it's okay. I think, do you know, this is, um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we had, we had that motion and, you know, I guess perhaps this is what, where the question linked at the beginning. That motion back into 2015 now that I raised with the Royal College of Nursing about, you know, um, about ensuring that all fields of nursing were um, trained, educated in suicide awareness and prevention and self-harm. And that was embedded in the 2018 NMC um, education standards. So, and we know that. So, um, you know, hopefully from 2018 onwards, the students who are coming out are, are, are going to be aware of it. And it's going to be embedded in at least in their brains is thinking, yeah, it's, every, it's all of our business. It's not just mental health. It's this is kind of social, you know, it's, it's public health. It's it's a human kind of, um, you know, need to, do you know I mean, to respond to this. And that's great. Now, interestingly, just touching on what you're saying there, the, um, the the Royal College of Nursing have just had their um, their annual congress, and there was a, a motion raised there last week um, where they were requesting um, a, an evidence based training and education program for all nurses across the workforce around suicide awareness and prevention, which I thought was really interesting because this mm -hmm. has been raised nationally. Um, you know, before, and you know, for various reasons, is that, that, that yeah, it's been looked into. But the, and I think NHS England are still working with this. And I think um, the, the issue is around this idea of mandatory. So I, I picked it up a little while ago, saying it's great that we've got people who are graduating now across all fields who who who've done the training and the education and know about it. However, if that's not picked up upon once you're once you're in the workforce and you're um qualified then you know you may forget about it your skills um you know it may not be on your agenda and your and your, and your mind anymore that it is actually part of your role to do that so how do we um how do we support staff to keep keep that up and keep it as forefront of that of the mind if you like now i know a lot of um trusts have signed up to um zero suicide training yeah because it, it, it's online it's um it's free you know that that might be part of what we would like to offer um and i know for yeah it, it's not mandatory you know it becomes difficult when you make things mandatory doesn't it because you don't want to force it back to what you were saying sarah about it being a tick box exercise um so there needs to be some real kind of consideration of sensitivities around how how that's done and what the possibilities are um and you know we around you know keeping the workforce up to date how often they would receive that training what it would look like um and how do we support employers to um implement that in a, in a, in a meaningful way um that you know staff feel that they they, they, they can undertake it in the, in the time that they have and um, with the support that they need so that's it's all very topical isn't it around you know what what the workforce actually ask for themselves at the minute as well 
Absolutely. And I think as well, nurses, going back to what we originally said, nurses are very good at looking after everyone else um, and putting their own well-being last. Um, but like with schemes like that and making it a suicide safe environment, it makes it safer for not only them if they have suicide ideation or they begin to have thoughts of suicide or that they know and also it's spotting the signs as well so it's vital when it comes to suicide prevention to have to have these things or what we're discussing today and even even creating um, resources within the ward environments that people work in our office environments or changing rooms you know ensuring that there's kind of those available things at the points when people where people might you know sort of you know the going home moment the the sitting down having a break you know they're they're things that catch your eye and maybe that's the time that somebody will pick it up and think do you know maybe I do need some extra Mm. help you know we we were talking before about not having the protected breaks or protected lunch times and sometimes it's that five minute snatch cup of coffee in a staff room you know making it there you know making those things accessible and visible in places like that um, you know that you know they they get looked at they catch your eye you know they're there but when you need them it's kind of being familiar with where stuff is as well isn't it absolutely <clears throat> I, think, I think all of that can help can't it yeah definitely lovely discussion Ernesto, and it's been really interesting uh, listening to, to your thoughts this moment uh, this morning so um, now we're going to move on to some questions from our Hopecast listeners um, so this segment we're looking at Questions that have been posed by our listeners um, to Hopecast and our followers. And um, we're going to ask some questions around this month's topic. Our Hopecast topic this month is nurses and suicide. So you'll be aware that every month we record an episode that we post on social media and the platforms there and the topic of the Hopecast. So our guests have had the opportunity to submit some questions anonymously. And we're going to discuss them today with yourself, Vanessa, as our guest. So these burning questions, we're hoping we're going to get them answered for our listeners. So um, one of the conversations that's been, um, or questions that's been sent in for this episode is, I'm a nurse and I'm concerned about a colleague. I believe they're having thoughts of suicide. What can I do to help? What would be your thoughts on that, Anessa? Straight away, you ask them. (laughs) You have to ask them. And I know... um, that, that just sounds like a really difficult thing to do if you've not asked it before but you know just from what we know working um you know working in this field and and talking to literally hundreds of people I've spoken to who said you just need to ask so finding you know as soon as possible finding a, a, a space a, a private space where you can ask directly you know to your friend or your colleague um if they're feeling suicidal so there are many different ways you can you can lead into that there's some um wonderful examples of that on on papyrus website underneath the resources about how to how to ask somebody if they're suicidal so you know you, you find find one that that feels comfortable for you and just literally say look i I'm really worried about you. I've I've just noticed lately that things are perhaps a little bit different. Um, can I ask, are you suicidal or do you have thoughts of suicide? Um, and and see see what happens from there. Generally, people who have thoughts of suicide are incredibly relieved that somebody has asked that question. Mm. Um, I often say, and, and and this sounds awful, but I I, I do I do mean this because um 
it, it's appropriate from, from the number of speak people that I have spoken to that suicide is a secret that's dying to be told. It's like people hold on to it deeply and it's the deepest kind of um, fear. It can be a really frightening place to be with those thoughts, being at the end of yourself, being um, experiencing yourself in a very different way it can be incredibly frightening. So having a, a friend, a trusted person to ask that question can be a relief. Um, it might be that you just get, you know, a lot of tears for for a few minutes um, before anybody can even see anything and that in itself is a cathartic and welcomed release um if if the, if your friend isn't feeling suicidal you say no I'm, I'm not um you know what makes you think that then tell them why why you think mm. that um the very fact that you've asked um shows that you are you, you you're willing to have those conversations you're not you're not afraid and if there was ever a point in the future where your friend did feel like that or your colleague felt like that or, you know, they kind of went away and thought I wasn't brave enough to share them, but I, I really do want to tell her that I am feeling like this, then they know they can come back to you because you're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be scared or, or, or scared off about, you know, about what might come next. So please, please do find a safe space, take a deep breath and just ask them, you know, they'll be, I'm sure they'd be, you know, really, um, if they're not, even if they're not, they feel, you know, very touched that you've, that you've reached out like that, you know, and, and notice that perhaps you're struggling on some level. I was just about to say, it's even if they weren't feeling that way, the fact that you've been very emotionally aware and you that's a really good point. You, you're actually, you, you're aware of that feeling differently or they're not themselves and you wanted to talk about it and you've created that safe space to talk about suicide, even if they come back to you and say, actually, I didn't feel comfortable talking about it then, but actually I've reassessed and that that is how I'm feeling and I feel safe having that conversation with you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But yeah, just lay it out on the table, ask directly, be clear. So, and, and it's hard to say the word suicide. It really is. It's hard to say it. It, it sounds a lot of people, you know, when I explore this with people, you know, in workshops and with students, they say, oh, I just don't like the word. And it can be hard to say because it it, 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 it kind of ignites a whole lot of fear in ourselves sometimes. We'd be frightened about what, what comes back. Um, you know, it, it it can be a frightening thing to talk about. It is scary for people to talk about it, but just, you know, by opening up, asking the question and, and offering a hand and saying to, to your colleague and your friend, um, you know, it can be really scary to talk about this, you know, mm -hmm. but, you know, but let's, you know, I'm here, I'm here with you. Um, let's just talk about this together and see what, see what we can do together next. I'm with you. And I remember this um, one lady that I spoke to said that the most powerful thing that was ever said to her from, from um, a nurse was, um, I'm here for you we can you know we can do this together we can find mm. the next step together and she said that was the most powerful thing that anybody has ever ever said to me in a situation where I was feeling um really scared really vulnerable um and wanting to and wanting to take me life it's it's really sad isn't it yeah. John oh no no I was just I was just about to say it, it's so difficult but it's it's worth the conversation. Absolutely, it's worth the conversation because it could, like you say, Ines, it could save someone's life. Absolutely. I think that's it, isn't it? That life-saving, that life-saving, life-changing conversation, mm -hmm. that that moment of fear in ourselves as we build up to asking 
are you thinking about suicide can you know can change change a, a person's life forever couldn't it you know if we refrained from asking it then you know we we essentially you know sort of leaving somebody in a vulnerable very vulnerable position but also making sure that we have our toolkit of resources then to to know where we're going to for support if they say yes I am then thinking about the kind of suitable uh, you know sort of referral and avenues that we can signpost them to for that help you know we've we've already said we've got our papyrus um, hotline 24 7 but also thinking about well-being within the workplace as well occupational health support counseling support you know thinking about all of those options as well isn't it you know it's it's creating creating that next step as well isn't it it is, but I'd say let the you know let the person talk, let your friend talk, mm. and you ask the question. And if there's a, mm. a, an emotional release and you become tearful, then just be there. Mm. Do what you do. What, what what's what's within the context of your relationship with that person? Hold the hand or whatever it is. Just give them space, and then you know just allow them to talk about what it is that's brought them to that space. What's going on for you right now to make you feel like this? And then allow them to tell the story because. Um, again, what I, what I also understand from a lot of time working in this area is that um, people want an opportunity to share that pain. I call it a pain story, a pain mm-hmm. story. They, they, they want to do it. They, they, they want an opportunity just to share it and, 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 and for somebody to really hear them, for somebody mm-hmm. to meet them as another human being. Time and time again, that's what people say. At that point of distress, at that point of um opening up and sharing I just want to be met with another human another kind compassionate person that's all that's all I want at that point just somebody to be with me there and just hold the space so it's really just this importance about holding the space and you know if you're a colleague and or a friend and you're a nurse then you do you know you have got the skills and this is what I say to nurses are you kind and compassionate they go yes do you break bad news yes well then you've got all of the skills you've got all of the skills to have this conversation it's just you know it's just that word suicide that's kind of really um you know that something's the block the mental block there or the emotional block um but you've got all of the skills trust in yourself trust yourself trust in yourself trust in all of the skills that you have humanly and professionally and you know it you you, you can have that conversation Absolutely, absolutely. And we've had another question come through. Um, do you feel the culture within work plays a part? Um, sometimes a clicky atmosphere or sometimes bullying, um, unfortunately, can play a part um, in, in somebody wanting to take their own life. Do you think that, that could play a part, Anessa? I think, I think it can. I think it can be one element of, of, of a person struggling, definitely. I mean, I think we touched on this before about um, cultures and workplaces. Um, you know, whereas we've got, yeah, I mean, let's not, it does happen, doesn't it? But it does happen. We do have bullying in some weird places and we do, you know, there are places where, um, you know, where, where it's perceived to be um, clicky little groups that are kind of formed within workplaces. It does happen. And I think if people are feeling particularly vulnerable anyway, we don't know what's happened in people's lives. We don't know what people are carrying. We don't know whether, um, you know, the, the workplace is exacerbating you know whatever's happening and what else the person's um carrying um might might be just another thing that the person has to try and navigate another stressful environment that they feel they need to to try and navigate um on on top of everything else that's happening for them so um i, I think that there's 
tends to be generally a lot of things that add up and, and mm -hmm. perhaps the workplace, uh, uh, if it is non-supportive, um, then, it, yeah, I mean, it could contribute to that. Um, it would be the, the, the only causation because it's a lot, it's really complex, suicide, and, and the reasons why people come to wanting to take their own life tend to be incredibly complicated. So, you know, I would say in those situations, it's perhaps exacerbating something that the person's already struggling with and trying to work through, whether it be confidence, whether it be um, any kind of trauma, any internalized distress, any grief, any bereavement, any anything. Um, you know, it's just another part of that complicated picture, really. And again, it, it is important to seek help, isn't it? I mean, we, we, I think we've we, we've touched on this. Just if it's no, if it's if you can't reach out to anybody in the workplace, then you, you should please think about who is around you that you can reach out to and and take steps from there to think about you know what would be what what would be the best course of action. Yeah, whether it's taking time out. Um, you know, looking at alternatives, other places where you can work, um, you know, but also it's, it's important that if people are feeling, you know, that there's bullying going on in the workplace, that they, they need to be able to um, report that in a safe way as well. You know, you've got various people in trust, whistleblowing, et cetera, that people can go to to, 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 to express that their perceptions of what's happening. Mm. I agree. I think that's really important, isn't it? Because it's all about us working in a professional environment and ensuring that, you know, people are not being excluded and people are not, you know, having those, you know, detrimental effects of what might be occurring within workplace culture. So absolutely agree. I think reaching out and, you know, looking at the strategies within their own workplace for ensuring that, you know, that that is managed appropriately, isn't it, with support. Because it is a difficult, it is a difficult thing to do. Um, working within our code, you know, we're encouraged that we we ensure that this this happens. So again, it can place additional stress on somebody, but we do need to recognise, you know, like you say, that multifaceted reasons, isn't it? It is, it is, and that's it's like you say, it's, it's for all aspects. Then talk about it and finding someone safe and you can trust to to express how it's making me feel. And that something can be done. I think it's, again, it's all about creating that safe space. And I think that ties in quite nicely with the next question. I work as a nurse and I am struggling with burnout and tiredness. How can I look after myself? God, you know, it's no surprise if people are suffering with burnout and tiredness. It's so hard. I mean, I have this conversation with students just saying it's just such a hard profession that you're going into. It really yes. is. Um, I don't know what strategy is um, the the. the, the that you're taking at the moment in relation to looking after yourself or what's available to you. But I I, I would say the first thing that you can look at is um, annual leave. Mm -hmm. Taking your annual leave because what tends to happen, and it's hard to do, and it's hard to do, is um, really being um, really being focused and spreading out your annual leave throughout the year. Um, and we tend not to be good at that. I remember when I was uh, a maintenance in clinical practice and I was going around just checking, making sure that everybody had it spaced out throughout the year. And, you know, there would be a lot of pushback, but they were grateful for it when they, when they worked out that every just over every two months they could take some time off in relation to the amount of um, you know the, the, the amount of time that they had. So please do, you know, and if you can, if, if you're able and you feel you're at the point now where you're absolutely really, like, tired is it is it any opportunity to talk 
to your manager. Do you have an, um, a supportive clinic lead and a supportive manager and just saying, look, I'm so tired. I want to get to the point where I'm feeling really sick and poorly. Is there any opportunity for me to take any leave kind of sooner rather than later? So I would I would suggest that as the first, um, is the, and that would be the conversation I would always have with staff first. would be right, look, okay, let's look at some leave or you do some. Let's look at if we can wiggle things around here with the off duty and make sure that you that you can get some leave and just just have some rest. Um, and then we can we can look at you know a different pattern of support in you after that when you come back and you've got a clearer mind. So that would be the first thing I would I would suggest. Um, and just looking at I don't know what kind of shifts I'm kind of firing out in the dark here. Um, what kind of shifts you're working? We know that people who um, are working long shifts, 12, 13 hour shifts, we know that's really hard and really difficult looking at how they're spaced out through the week um you know is it is there a pattern that works better for you um is it is that again something that you can have a conversation with your manager about so looking at the kind of um you kind of work balance first of all i think would be really important i know it's hard everybody's impressing upon taking breaks but you are absolutely entitled to a break and the thing Mm -hmm. i've really is with um really is with your with your colleagues, you know, right, okay, this half an hour, um, I'm here, um, you know, whatever it is, you've got to go, got to get something to eat, we've got a drink, it's a physiological, you know, and when I can hear pushback, people saying, I know, but we're so busy, but um, you absolutely need to just kind of physiologically look after yourself, making sure you're getting the right nutrients, getting water, getting something to eat somewhere on a shift, and kind of really trying to, um, keep bringing it back to the team because sometimes it's like it becomes a work in practice it's a culture all right we just don't take breaks and we get away half an hour early or whatever um you know keep bringing it back and say no we're going to make this work how can we possibly change the little culture here on our ward to make sure that we do get you know half an hour if it isn't half an hour even if it's 20 minutes what's going to be good enough you know mm-hmm. instead of nothing in half an hour is too much well then what's good enough to make sure that we can just stop for a minute and refuel um is at it looking at your day looking at how how your how your day is structured i have no idea in relation to if you've got a family um you know what 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 the the impact is on on your day and what the demands are of you but even if there's just when you're home on your own is there a half an hour of a day that you can have for yourself you know your time is there half an hour in the morning and half an hour in the evening every single day or what is good enough what amount of time can you protect for yourself in a day that is purely yours going in the bath locking the door and making sure you know that the, the children are coming in and the dogs are not coming in to, to disturb you you know like they do it's your half an hour you know you've got your music on you know candles whatever it is it's your time so I think it all sounds very basic but I know how powerful these things are just to be able to to, to be able to you know absolutely ring fence time for you where you can just have a quiet mind whether you can go for a walk whether you can sit in your garden whether you've got access to um you know a green space or river whether you I don't know whether are you into are you into meditation are you into gentle movement are you into yoga are you able to go to a gym or do whatever it is that makes you happy are you able to dance in your backyard I don't whatever it is that can release any tensions or can give you time on your own the smallest thing washing the dishes quietly mindfully can make a real difference I I could suggest hundreds of things but I'll stop there maybe that's a good place to start
I think they're excellent things, you yeah. know, definitely, Nessa. I think, you know, that's definitely things to sort of pick and pick and choose from that works for you. But also it'd be good to sort of explore what's offered by the hospital. You know, is there anything offered in there for the staff from a well-being perspective? Yeah. They offer some little free sessions that, you know, in, in this current climate of a free um, or, or minimal cost because you're employed by the hospital and also I, I don't know um, some of the areas now do the well-being day so they're additional to your holiday so you can book a well-being day um, which is a nice thought that you're not losing losing holiday but like you say I think planning and booking annual leave so that you're not getting to a point where you absolutely desperately need it and then you don't enjoy the time that you take off but I think, you know, some of these additional well-being days are nice if they can be timetabled in, you know, to support you to do something just for you. Um, you know, that day that you can spend doing something for yourself or an activity or being creative or just generally just spending some time. Just, just small things like, yeah, just making yourself, yeah, just make yourself a nice little afternoon tea, you know, just even mm. if it's like, you know, making yourself some nice sandwiches and a little cake and crying and you're taking yourself off somewhere and like you like that's nice mm. than your home and just being there, you know, booking yourself the half hour or an hour before you can get the kids or whatever you whatever it would fit in with your life with a magazine. That can sometimes be enough just to stop where you're not thinking about anything, you're just engaging in something that's just nice and quite simple for you to be able to to do your to be able to do and fit into your into your life. You might decide, oh, Thursday afternoons are going to be my afternoon for my tea. I mean, like my little afternoon tea and my magazine. That's a Thursday afternoon. Oh, I'm randomly picking this off the top of my head, but you know, and Tuesdays are are, are Tuesdays for an hour on my gym time, or or like my walk down to the park or wherever it might be so just maybe having something it's hard you know to commit to because life gets in the way but this is life it's trying to make a commitment in your mind to see well this is yeah the rest of life gets in the way but this is life this is my life and this is this bit for me and I am fiercely going to protect it no matter what absolutely and it's almost like creating that timetable for yourself like a safe mm -hmm. self a self-care even if it's just a half an hour a day and as like you're saying it's that time's yours and it's so needed and even if you have to force yourself and create that boundary you've got to take it because it's you can't pour from an empty cup you can't yeah. you can't give especially nursing because you know you've got you have to be I always say you have to be a special person to be a nurse but you have to you, you can't give what if you're not fully yourself yeah absolutely well, yeah that's a lovely way of putting it Lauren I think that's a really nice it is. Nice analogy too. I think that sounded lovely. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. And hopefully that encourages people to think differently about the fact that they're not sitting and doing nothing. And because sometimes we're on the go all the time that we become that person that needs to be busy all the time. So you feel like if you sit down for half an hour that you're sort of wasting wasting valuable time. Mm -hmm. But like you say, it's important to, to sort of timetable that self-care in. Do you know I'm big on self compassion? It took a long time, but I tell you, I, I, after my brother died of suicide, my like, it, life is blown apart. It took me, I had to learn how to breathe. I keep breathing in the beginning, couldn't breathe, just like through the panic and the anxiety. And I, I had to take it on board that in order to 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 get through life, go back to work and 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 repair, if you like, and and um 
yeah, but I, I was, I'd have to work on this self-compassion and you have all sorts of um, ideas about in, in your head and, and guilt and all sorts of thoughts about, you know, about about suicide of a, of a loved one, don't you? Um, and, I, yeah, I mean, to the point where it, it, it just goes around in your head and it can drive you pretty much crazy itself. And it was like, oh, hang on, I've got to be, you know, this is about, I need to give myself time, I need to be kind here. Um, we need to work through this and uh, uh, the art of self-compassion takes a long time it takes years sometimes it really does mm. but you get much better at it you know the more you do it and and then th that all really fits in with valuing yourself and, and caring for yourself and um, and that's not selfish I think it's uh, the starting point self-compassion no, I'm so, so I'm not Buddhist now, but it's true. I think it's true. Self-compassion, starting there. And fitting with what you said, Lauren, about not pouring from an empty cup, it, it fills up your cup, do you know? And then yes. you know, it's your it's your grounding, it's your um connection with, with, with where you are in the world. And you know, it's, it's a good space to always come back to, retreat back to, and think, right, okay, where am I in this? Where's me? Oh yeah, you sent us there because you've been nurturing it, so your reserve is is, is larger. Um, you know, and because you're just you're putting up that boundary, and you know, people there's a lot of different thoughts about um about being able to give compassion and love to others, and say that the boundary, it, it, having a boundary, is is the the first kind of um the first step towards um self love and self compassion. You know, this is my boundary. This is where it is. Yeah, and it might move a little bit. But, you know, if, if you find it's moving like, you know, half a metre and a metre, it's kind of getting, you know, just like is, is a visual image. And then two metres and three metres, then, then you're away. You're giving all of you without without having any feedback. So it is healthy to have boundaries. It's not selfish. It's a way of saying I honour myself um, and, and therefore then I, I can honour you as a human being and care for you. Um, you know, so that, that could be hard to start with, but... Really, really I think that's certainly what we we try to encourage, isn't it, mm -hmm. with our new students to ensure that they're thinking about that as they embark on the training, and you know, a potentially long um, career in a profession where, like you say, it needs to it needs to happen because we can't be compassionate to others if we can't be compassionate to ourselves. So I think mm -hmm. you know it is absolutely important, isn't it? So if we start early with them, it becomes part of their day to day life and it's not something that they've got to fit in because they've not you know they're, they're backtracking and trying to encourage it in their life it's something that we've actually taught them to fit in right from the beginning so they'll be much more used to doing it so hopefully you know we'll have have um you know professions that you know are used to doing this and can support others with with that in the future absolutely oh anessa thank you so much for being on hopecast on i could I could listen to you all day and your voice is so calming, like hearing hearing what you say. It's yeah, so calming. And I'm I'm sorry to hear you lost your brother to suicide. I know thank you for sharing that and I'm I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. So do you know what it was it was it was twenty one years ago and it's um it's still there, of course it is, but you mm -hmm. move differently as, as as time goes on and yeah, it'd always be be with snower hearts, but um yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's different. It's not cute anymore. It's not cute anymore. So that, and that is okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you can see that in both of you, it, it shines through. You can see you're both so compassionate and really in the work that you both do, you, you, you want to instill that in people about self-care, starting that safe conversation because it's, it's so, so important, so important. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for the conversation. What an amazing conversation with Vanessa. I'm so glad she could take the time to join us. I know how incredibly busy she is and it's been able to talk to us about this today was absolutely amazing it's been it's been a really good session hasn't it? it's been really um, refreshing about how we can talk about why we both wanted to um you know work within suicide prevention and also thinking about our nursing backgrounds and our connection um together with that and also being able to have those nice detailed conversations within this hope cast as well you know about how we can equip people and support people through some very difficult conversations it was great for me to watch the conversation unfold myself. I certainly learned a lot from both of you and it was a really nice, natural, flowing conversation. There were some parts where I didn't feel like I needed to interject or ask because it just, you both knew. And it was like you both, from that, your, your, your background, it's like you 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 know, and it's that it's that that relatability that was there. It was, it was a really lovely thing to listen to and be involved with. Yeah, and I think, like you say, Nessa's experience shines through. You know, she's very, you can you can tell she's very used to having those nice coaching conversations where she can enable somebody to open up and talk freely and openly. And, and she created us a nice safe space in a hope cast to have those conversations as well. And you can see how that would reflect out in a practice in both the hospital environment and out in, in her university environment, as well as she's sort of educating our future workforce so you know you can you can clearly see you know why she we why she has those um, connections and why she does the research that she does and why she has that you know um, professorial role within the university as well you know thinking about all the work she has engaged in but also thinking about you know the sensitivities around her own lived experience and how she can apply that um you know with her with her ongoing work you know like we've said before we work through from an acute phase of being bereaved by suicide to a time period where we're able to get involved in the work that goes on and we can see you know how that how that's implemented in her day-to-day life but also you know sharing her toolkit of compassionate care for herself and and how that self-care can be transferred into just very short periods of time in a day you know snatching 15 20 minutes but to have that mindfulness self-care for yourself and ensuring um as you quite rightly said lauren we can't pour from an empty cup so ensuring that as a profession we're able to give that ongoing high you know high level of care that's expected from our patients that's evidence-based it's compassionate and you know that we're we're actually in a good place to deliver that so yeah I think you know we've had some really wonderful um, conversations and some really good self-help support advice from Anessa today. And, it, and self-care is absolutely vital. I mean, that's one thing I, I, I scream and shout to people um, because you, you can't, you know, you, especially in a job like nursing where it takes so much out of you and 
you you can't give that support to not only just your patients but also your colleagues you can't do Mm -hmm. that if you're you're not okay and it's it's okay to be selfish and take that half an hour of day take that dinner break and Mm -hmm. have that time where you don't want to speak to someone for 10 minutes you just have that time you can just gather your thoughts and just be with you and then reconnect back um later on so it is it's a real balance but and yeah, that's what annual leave is there for as well. Um, I know we try and save it for those big holidays and those special occasions, but even just booking it after, do you know what, after a few, after a month or so, a couple of days in, and it's that reset time for you to do something you enjoy, to reconnect, find things that you you enjoy doing. It's really yeah, important. Absolutely. I think that's it, isn't it? And again, it's kind of a reminder to ourselves as well, even if we we sort of have done it well for a period of time to review back and think how well am I doing with that self-care at the minute you know it might be something that we program into our our diaries our timetables and stuff like that you know our working life thinking about where that day off falls you know is there actually going to be anybody around that day can I can I make myself you know think about something just for me on those days as well and you know I think I think it is important but also that, that awareness of, of colleagues as well and whether they're struggling as well and maybe encouraging them you know certainly some of the nurses in senior roles as Anessa said you know it's our responsibility in a senior role to look at look at their their kind of timetabling for the their annual leave or well-being days you know why are they not taking it is this is there some reason that they don't want to take it you know it's it's not a failure to not take your annual leave it's not no, no, a failure to take a day off for yourself no. and that's what it's there for that that that's what it's there for and you don't have to justify to anyone why you're taking it because that those days are yours then you just mm-hmm. need to get in the morphized and a good manager would spot that and say no you need to take this um oh, notice you've got a bulk here we want we want you to take it and mm. have that time for yourself so I think it's, it's all it's all comes into self-care yeah and and, and agreeing and, and at every level as well isn't it um Lauren you know we're not just focusing on staff on clinical shop floors mm. that are nurses we're thinking about nurses that might be in those um you know much higher managerial strategic roles you know and thinking about their own self-care as well because they're taking on a greater responsibility so their need for um, their self-care toolkit may may be you know just as important if not more important because at a strategic level you know they're managing a whole whole hospital and several nursing teams so for them as well it's around their self-awareness as well we're not just talking about um you know as they say shop floor clinically based nurses we're talking about the profession wherever they're placed um within that nhs um environment so again you know we're reaching out to every every nurse within within that population as well at all levels whether they're unqualified nurses or in you know major trust board level you know we want to make sure that we're we're utilizing terminology whether they are qualified or unqualified they're still a workforce and they're still um, you know, a, a high level of stress in, in all of those those populations. And I think that's the perfect way to end this episode. I think you summed up perfectly there saying it's not just about those front that, that front service team. It's about every every single person in the world of nursing, how they're involved. It's you know, it doesn't just affect that one that one group, whether it's an AE nurse or someone who's in a practice everyone is affected by this and that's why you've got to take it on board and start that safe conversation around suicide thank you so yeah. much sarah for, for joining me like i said i think we could talk all day about this topic but you <laughs> yeah it's an absolutely brilliant episode again
Oh, you're absolutely welcome, Lauren. It has been a, a pleasure and a privilege to actually join you on Hopecast today. I've really enjoyed the conversation, you know, and thanks ever so much for, for asking me to participate with you. Oh, not at all, not at all. Like I say, we couldn't have had a better person for this episode. And You're very kind. <laughs> no, no, honestly, honestly, we don't just ask anyone Hopecast. And um, <laughs> I hope anyone listening, I hope this helps anyone in nursing who's struggling, anyone who knows someone in medicine who's struggling and it encourages them to get in touch with Hopeline 24-7. I hope it encourages them to get in touch.